please give a huge welcome to our special surprise guest who we are very lucky to have, Charles Frazier. <laughs> Cold Mountain took you took you seven years to do, um, I, I, thereabouts. How long how long was Thirteen Moons and how long was Nightwoods, which is your new book? Um, it was um, nearly ten years between Cold Mountain and Thirteen Moons. I wasn't working all that time, but uh, okay. What were you doing? That's what the question <laughs> on the lips of editors and lots of people who wanted um, more books from you. <laughs> Have you ever heard that Bob Dylan thing about writing the Chronicles, where he says? lest we forget when you're writing, you're not living. Uh, so I was, I was trying to live a little bit. Between the writing. Between the writing, yeah. Um, and w I have a vision of you writing in some kind of cabin somewhere. Um, it may be a romantic vision, it may be wrong, but is it, is it accurate at all? Do you write at home? Not in an office, please. So no. would it sound sort of stereotypical if I said I found a bear in my garage two weeks ago? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was drink, okay, yeah? drinking my morning coffee, heard a thump in the garage and walked out and it was in the process of turning the garbage can over. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it, it went one way out the door and I went into the house. So it's a wild place, the place that... Yeah. That, that you, where is that? Yeah. It's outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Which, despite being North Carolina, is the south, right? Yeah, it's, it's okay. definitely the south. <laughs> definitely the south. No, it's confusing. Southern Appalachians. Appalachians. I knew I was going to get it wrong. I said Appalachians. Appalachians. Mm -hmm. And is that a Cherokee term? App Appalachian doesn't sound like a, a, a European word. And yeah. I've wanted to, to talk to you about your particular passion and your knowledge um, about the, the Cherokee Nation because they appear either as characters or as a kind of palimpsest of, of history, either on the landscape or in memory. And um, throughout lots of novels, and your new novels in the 20th century, but still. They're there. And I wanted to ask what your fascination was. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was really interested in um, the, the process of the land being taken from the Cherokee's ancestors, except for this one little area that they managed to um, fight the federal government to a draw on. Uh, the, you know, the Trail of Tears, most of the Cherokee in the East were sent off to Oklahoma, and it was awful. Um, and one little group that, that's uh, a few miles from where I grew up stayed. And so I was really interested in finding out about that, about you know, how, what was that process. How It was not totally violent. It was partly political and legal maneuverings. And um, so I, I, I wanted to write that book to... To, to understand how my people came to occupy that land and their, a few of their people managed to stay and be neighbors. D and you say be neighbors, so did you have, how much kind of interaction did you have with those, those people when you were growing up? Were they kind of other? Were you not supposed to interact with them or were they well, friends? In, um, now in, in the early, late 50s, early 60s, uh, the schools were separated, you know, there were black schools, Indian schools, white schools. So there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. Uh, that changed over the, the course so, of the so, 60s. So there were enough Indians for there to be separate Indian schools? Yeah. Or? Okay, yeah. fine. Um, and, the, uh, and every other aspect of their society was, was, was separate from you? So how did you, you saw them, but you never spoke to them? Or? Yeah, there was a, a great deal of separation until... Uh, probably the late 60s. Okay, 
And do you remember the first time that you had any interaction with the Cherokee person? Um, well, now, the, the, the town of Cherokee, kind of in the middle of the, it's not really a reservation because they actually own their land. The federal government doesn't own it. It was part of all those legal maneuverings. Um, is a, a, a tourist town called Cherokee. So you, you met people there. Um, is that like a theme park or is it? Well, no, it's a really, it was a really kind of seedy little tourist town. Um, you know, these kind of tourist shops where, um, where you go in and there's those um, like fake plastic vomit that you put on the floor to surprise people and those kinds of things. That sounds, it's so authentic. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, you, you know, these people were near you, but they were, they were distant from you. Yeah. Um, they, they were other. And how, how have you become, because you're very involved, and I, mean, I have a copy of your book here, which is, which is in Cherokee. Um, how have you become so involved in the culture and, and the language, and how involved yeah. are you? Yeah, a friend of mine, a uh, writer friend of mine, came over to the house one day and saw some translations on the, of Cold Mountain on the, and 13 Moons on the shelves and saw a Cherokee translation and just said, that's just disgusting. Um, but when, when 13 Moons was It looks finished, like dingbats. You know, that really old, it doesn't look like anything that we understand as yeah. language. I mean, it looks, you yeah, know, the it looks Cherokee are the only, uh, the only American tribe that has a written form of their language. Um, and when, when 13 Moons was, the book was finished, it was about to be published, we had those advanced reading copies. And I, I don't like to deal with people I'm writing about very much until I'm far enough into the book that it's not going to change because I don't want to be influenced by worrying whether people are going to like it or not while I'm writing. But I wanted to find out, you know, if, if, if they hate this book, um, you know, how, how, how can that be dealt with? So I had a, a lunch for the chief, the tribal council, uh, important elders in the community. Um, and it was, you know, I went into that really nervous because it could have gone all kinds of bad. Um, <laughs> But uh, they, and, the, and all they knew about me was, was the movie, really. Um, did, had no idea that I grew up a few miles from, from them. And, uh, and when one of them asked me where I grew up, and I said, you know, 20, 24 miles away or whatever it was, um, he said, when did you graduate from high school? I told him, and he said, we used to kick your ass in football all the time. <laughs> and that, that sort of straightened things out very quickly. And by the time that lunch was over with, we were starting to talk about something that hadn't been done in over 150 years, which was to translate a substantial piece of writing into uh, the Cherokee language in the Cherokee syllabary. Now, you're obviously not doing that for the royalties. You're doing that to make a point. And what is the point that, that, that you're trying to make? Well, it's an endangered language. And... Um, um, like the last speakers of Tuscarora died in the late 90s, and, that, and now nobody speaks Tuscarora. So it just it felt to me like Cherokee, it's such a different language. It looks at the world in such a different way. It's, uh, it's, it's like can, a whole... Can you explain how it's different? Uh, well, the, the grammar of it is, is very strange, and I don't pretend to understand it, but um, the verbs carry the bulk of the meaning of a sentence. So verb tenses just multiply and multiply and multiply and 
it's a really hard language for uh, somebody who grew up speaking English to learn because because those verbs just have so many tenses and prefixes and suffixes and and they tell everything about time and um, it's it's really complicated um, and it's also a very literal language it's not an abstract language at all um, things are described well um, when when the contact between Cherokee and whites happened, uh, and the first time a circus came through their territory and had a show, and there was an elephant, the um, they had to make up a word for elephant because they you know, never seen one before, and the the word was kamama utana, which means big butterfly, <laughs> and you know, uh, um, and now they've got a committee that comes up with words for, you know, technology and things like that. How many people would speak it or, or use it in their everyday life? Uh, well, you know, the, the Cherokee, the descendants of the Cherokee that were sent out on the Trail of Tears. Tell, no, tell uh, us about that because I think most people here aren't familiar with the Trail of Tears. Yeah, uh, uh, well, um, uh, in the 1830s, uh, white people decided they really wanted that land and... Um, even though the Cherokee had been trying for decades to assimilate themselves to some degree, learn English, they had a written language, they had a newspaper, they had a school, they had schools, they, they were doing everything they could to make us leave them alone. And uh, that didn't work. And so uh, Andrew Jackson and uh, that administration uh, collected them up walked them off to Oklahoma, many, many of them died along the way and uh, came to the Trail of Tears. And this one little group in Western North Carolina um, understood property ownership better than the others and they managed to uh, acquire the property rights to their land. They owned their land and it was very confusing to the legislature. And they, they finally just said, okay, you can stay because you know, you own the land. And they're still there? Yeah, yeah, still there. Um, so in, in Nightwoods, um, you're talking about the same part of the world. It's, it's recognizably the, yeah. the, the, the end papers alone, which are very lovely, um, uh, feature the mountains and, and the forests, um, these kind of very green, damp places which hide all kinds of life and stories and history. Yeah. Um, what, what made you choose, choose this century and, and, the, and the same place? Oh, I was, well, the last uh, century, I sorry. was plenty happy to get out of the 19th century after a couple of books. I mean, um, there's a line in the first paragraph of the book, uh, these two kids who set fires, and um, um, the line is something along the lines of, um, uh, after, the, after the woman who's taking care of him hides all the matches, is tiny cavemen on Benzedrine couldn't have learned to build fire faster. And a friend of mine said, how long have you been waiting to write that line? <laughs> <laughs> um, and th there's there's something of of the shining about this this kind of this this uh, this abandoned uh, lodge hotel, you know, surrounded by trees, which eventually is yeah. carpeted by by snow, um, and it, and it's lived in by a, by a woman. Who is she? Yeah, uh, uh, a young woman named Luce who has isolated herself in this old. Tourist lodge from the late 19th century, and um, 
you don't know exactly at the beginning why she's isolated herself. Uh, it's a creepy place to live. It's on the far side of a lake from a little town. Um, and the book really begins, uh, well, it begins right off with the two children of her murdered sisters being delivered to her because she's the only family member left who can take care of them. And she has zero interest in maternity. She does not want to take care of kids, doesn't want her life disrupted. She's, you know, she's kind of mid-twenties and she likes this, uh, this kind of lonesome, beautiful life she's created. And here are these two messed up kids that set fire to things, they kill chickens, they don't speak. No, the, the killing the chickens thing was very poignant for me at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can't go with it because I have four pet chickens. It was very, very dark for me. Um, but, it, but, it, but it is a real departure for you because it, this is a thriller. You know, essentially, it's it, the you know there are big there's this there's the scary house there's the dark woods and the, the creepy children, yeah. um, and then and then this this man um, this man called Bud who yeah. he's so selfish and murderous and, and terrifying. Yeah, he's um, he would be a psychotic killer if he were a little less scattered and um, prone to panic attacks and. Um, <laughs> You know, he, he gets scared really easy, and he <laughs> thinks the whole world, that he's the only innocent in a harsh world out to get him. And, um, he's a victim. I mean, he does, he does play that up, the victim card, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. But, but he does horrible things to other people and then finds all kinds of justifications for him. Uh, and he's come up there because he's the killer of these kids' mo mother and thinks they have something that belongs to him. Um, so, but, but, but the thriller thing, um, I, I kind of wanted to, uh, to have a subtitle like A Country Noir, um, but Daniel Woodrell already did that. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's very dark, and I don't, I don't want to give away, I, I don't want to give away too much about what happens, particularly towards the end. Um, but um, uh, um, you, you, your, you know, your personal, uh, you, you know, in, inspiration uh, for, for Cold Mountain was from a from a very distant relative, um, and with and with this book, um, you mentioned in past interviews, you know, going with your grandmother to see people come to summer as a verb um, in in these grand resorts. Yeah, well, uh, Western North Carolina, you know, before air conditioning. Um, all these textile millionaires and that kind of thing would come up from Georgia, South Carolina, uh, Eastern North Carolina to get out of the heat uh, while all the um, factory workers were down there breathing um, uh, fibers all summer long in 100 degree weather. Um, and those, those things are scattered all over. There are some that are left, some still in operation, some that all that's left is stone steps and, and a you know, a porch uh, that had burned down years ago. So those, those are a kind of ghostly presence there that I've always been interested in. And, and you, your, your grandmother was Scottish? Or, or for her, yeah, certainly the, the, the family fam yeah, was. Yeah, the family, um, yeah, the, you know, clan Fraser. And, and how that. did that influence, how um, does that influence you? Well, you what? know, it was, it was funny. When I was growing up, um, there was still that memory of Scotland and um, my grandmother had this, this little fat leather-bound collection of Robert Burns. And for Sunday dinner, when we would go to visit, instead of saying grace, 
she would flip open to a, a Robert Burns poem and read it like, there, that settles that. <laughs> I'm not going to do Barnes or make him. I'll take questions. Uh, I can't see, but you've got good hair. Oh, it's, oh, two people with good hair. It's Tom and somebody else. Go. Tom first and then in front. Do you think that, that he's asking about the Cherokee people when he's saying about exclusion and inclusion, I guess, and about where, where are they now um, in, terms of, in terms of their development? Well, um, I don't know whether you all know the laws in the United States about casinos, but because Cherokee, um, any Indian tribe's territory is, uh, is to a degree autonomous, uh, gambling laws don't apply to them. And um, so the Cherokee and, I mean, the poverty there 30 or 40 years ago was appalling. And they have a Harrods Casino there now. And Did you say they, Harrods? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah. So the, every member of the tribe, every registered member, and now everybody in Western North Carolina is suddenly wanting to be a Cherokee. <laughs> um, but it it's, keeps going up every year. I think the past couple of years, it's been every single member, child, uh, gets uh, something in the upper $30,000 a year range. Also, a lot of that money goes to the tribal government, and that's what's given them the money to do these language preservation programs. So they have this, um, this really wonderful immersion program for little kids. It's like kindergarten. But when, you, when they walk in the door, English goes away. Got a big grant uh, to uh, buy a bunch of iPads. And they're generating their own children's books on iPad um, that, you know, the local artists doing the, 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 the artwork, local writers doing the stories. Uh, and you go over there and there are these tiny little black-haired kids with their iPads doing that, <laughs> reading, and Apple has been really great that they've uh, given Cherokee a, a kind of special designation. So if you've bought a, an iPad uh, recently, the Cherokee syllabary should be preloaded onto it. Wow. So that when the translation of uh, 13 Moons, I think we're gonna have it there by Christmas, is gonna be on on iPads and anybody trying to learn Cherokee anywhere in the world has instant access to the audio of it and and the and the written version of it. Next, but yeah, go. <laughs> the, the question was after I'm, writing a, after writing a mega bestseller, do you do you feel pressure or do you think fuck it, I can write what I want? I'd I'd like to bring you to talk to um, my publisher and. <laughs> <laughs> To, to co convince them I can do the fuck what I want. <laughs> um, uh, on that note, thank you, Charles Frazier, very much. <laughs>